Well, Lindsay just gave us a couple of things that are going on. I know many of you have been gone uh, sporadically uh, throughout the summer. Some of you have been gone like a long time. Like you don't even know that we're going into a new building in a few months and, and all of that. But I want to make sure that, um, A, that we've got good email addresses for you so that when we send out our weekly constant contact that you keep up with what's going on. But make sure to check the website as well. And I know this may make you all think less of me, but I don't care. Um, and you'll know why once I get done with the sermon. But um, I don't even know everything that's going on within our church, okay? Uh, now, I approve the big stuff, but um, there's a lot going on. We're going to Montreal. We're going to Colorado. We're going to Uganda. That's just our mission situation. Um, we've got a city impact conference coming up, a Giants game. We're getting groups ready for the fall. We, uh, Tim and I went to an updated meeting on the building uh, Friday. There's progress. Uh, I know you want more than this, but we are going to move in there in a matter of months, okay? 4, 12, 26, I don't know. Um, but it will be a matter of months. And, I, and I, w- I would tell you more if I knew more. So keep praying through that. There is progress being made. Things are, there's not been any major hiccups. And so keep praying through that. But it is a major ordeal as our church moves. For those of you that know, we'll be moving sometime. Uh, sometime. Yep. Yeah, sometime. I pro- I've got to keep my you know, poker face on. I want to tell you more, but uh, I don't know anymore. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, obviously, we, we would all say that the Internet changed kind of how everything works in our world. But more recently, social media really has changed the entire landscape of how many people uh, in this room. Now, I know we've got a few of you people who are like, Ben, I'm not on it. It's not changing me. I'm just the same as I would have been earlier. Um, but it's changing everything. And here's how social media has changed kind of our entire landscape and how it's going to continue to change. It's given us um, in our own hands the ability to project ourselves across the entire planet, right? And not only has it given us that ability, it's also with it given us the ability to control what we project of ourselves across the entire world, right? Unless you're doing things, sending pictures you shouldn't be, and then you've lost all control. All right. That's all I'll say about that. Um, like, what's he talking about? Let's meet. All right. Just hopefully it's not too late. Um, but we have this ability to protect our image and to control the image we project to the world at large. Let me give you a few ways in which we do this. You can take a thousand pictures of yourself and 999 of them can be terrible. Right. And you have the power to, 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 to choose not to project that. You're like double chin. No. Bad side. No. Clothes didn't look right. No, right? And you can take the one that's halfway decent, old school Photoshop, but new school, put an app on that bad boy for 99 cents, filter the thing, and then all of a sudden you look awesome. And what you're saying to the world, what you're projecting to the world is this is me 24-7, right? This is how I wake up. This is me on a terrible day. This is, you know, it, this is me. And we don't just do it with our, our look. So listen, no, no selfie condemnation from this pulpit. Um, uh, you also do it with the things that you cook. Those of you who do cook, you cook once a year, right? And it doesn't matter that you have cereal and frozen pizza and Lego waffles every other night of the year. You made one thing that you didn't burn. It looks awesome. You got a lot of help. And all of a sudden, you're projecting to the rest of the world, like, this is me. I'm the gourmet chef. And then the worst, right? We do it with our kids. Like, you would think everyone has perfect kids. They look perfect. They smile for their parents, apparently. And, and, and you just don't know that the little devil moments just haven't been captured and projected to the rest of the world. Because we limit it. We control it. It's up to us. 
And what's crazy is that it really, this has the opportunity for some great things, as we all know. I don't loathe technology by any means. But it has also some opportunities to expose the darkest places in every human being's heart. Because every one of us has the propensity for this sort of dark side of things. Now, what I want to show you this morning, I think I can show you really clearly, is that this idea of projecting ourselves to the rest of the world or to our own little world, it has been around as long as humanity has existed. Now, unfortunately or fortunately, you and I have an opportunity to really go to some dark places because not only are we seeking to project a reality that doesn't exist of ourselves, most of us know what our reality is. And so when we see the rest of the world project themselves, we think that's the real them. And all of a sudden, we don't feel beautiful enough. We don't feel successful enough. We don't feel like our lives are exciting enough. And so we constantly, we're in this forever exhausting thing to try to figure out, how can I get to this sort of standard so that they think I'm a good parent? I'm a successful entrepreneur. I'm a good pastor. How can I show the world that I can match what the best are doing? It's this really dark thing, right? I mean, and, and, and you look at it and you can tell um, what everyone else is doing, but that's not them. So what we end up doing, we compare um, the real self we know about our, we compare our real selves with their projection and all of a sudden we're not enough. Um, there's a book I read, one of, probably one of the best books I've read this summer is a book called Daring Greatly. It's, um, just so you know, uh, it's not a, overtly a Christian book by any means, but I think a lot of what's in there, it's a social worker named Bren Brown who wrote the book, and I think it will be really helpful, but it's Daring Greatly. Uh, I think it would be a fabulous read for any of you. Uh, it, it was that impactful for me, just, all, just how do we live and, and succeed in a culture of never enough. Um, it, was a, it was a great read. Um, but what happens when it comes even to the spiritual realm is that either we're seeking to impress God or to impress people around us. Have you ever been in a small group or a church and people are using words and you're like, they must really be a strong Christian because I don't even know how to spell that. Ever there? Like they're the two of them, like that person and God BFF, you know, they wrote in each other's yearbooks. I mean, they just know each other so incredibly well. Um, and you're like, that's not my story. Two weeks ago in this Follow Me series, we said this, that there are things that Jesus wants us to put on public display when we live out our faith. Let me just give you, this is uh, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. I know everyone that wasn't here saw the podcast, so we're just reviewing. Um, but what we saw in that, he said, let your light shine. So publicly display it. He said, you're a city on a hill, something that's publicly displayed. He says, you're the salt of the earth, something that actually flavors things around him. And people know when they've tasted salt. He says, uh, he says let your good deeds shine before others so that they may praise your Father who is in heaven. And we said that there are many things that God wants us to do out in the open publicly so that people know that we belong to Him and they live for Him in response to that themselves. But we also said there are some things that Jesus wants us to do that aren't on public display. There are some things God wants you to do that He doesn't want the world to see. And hear this. Here's a big idea for today. There are some things God wants you to do that He doesn't want anyone else to see. But we get it backwards, and there's a big problem with us getting it backwards. Here's what we do. The things that God wants us to put out on public display, we like to keep to ourselves. And the things that he wants us to keep to ourselves, we want to show the world, right? Look at me. And he's like, nope, for my eyes only. 
Nope, that's not the reason. Nope, that's not why. So what I want to do is from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, I want to show you the kinds of things that Jesus wants us to do um, not out in the open, or at least for the sake of being out in the open. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. We'll get one to you, and you'll be well-equipped to follow along. And we're just going to, uh, I know it sounds odd, but we're going to just leave our Bibles open this morning and continually refer throughout this text to the principles that I believe Jesus wants to teach us this morning. Matthew chapter 6, we're somewhere along page 525 in the Bibles that are being passed out. That's either exactly right or a page or two off. And would you stand with me as we seek to learn some of these principles together? So the big, big idea is, why do we do what we do? Um, whose approval are we seeking to gain? Um, who are we seeking to please? And is it the right person or the right group of people. So what I want to do is I want to read uh, Matthew 6, 1 through 8, and then we'll skip down to verse 16 through 18. Um, Jesus uses three examples. They are all telling the same story. So let's lean in. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then Jesus gives what we know as the Lord's Prayer. But let's get down to verse 16 for our purposes this morning. Jesus continues, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Feel free to have a seat. See what we can learn together. Keep your Bibles open if you've got one in your hands. If not, we'll try to roll through it on the screen uh, in, a, in a consistent way. Kind of the three of the ways to think about the rest of this teaching is this. There are some things that Jesus assumes we will do as his followers. Okay, so kind of the big heading... First big heading is, there are some things Jesus assumes that we'll do as his followers. Number two, there are some reasons why Jesus wants us to do the things that we're going to be doing as his followers. And number three, he speaks to us about the ultimate reward that we are seeking. And so there are some things we are to do as his followers. Uh, There's a reason behind, our motivation behind why we should do what he's called us to do. And there's an ultimate reward that every one of us in this room and every person on the planet is looking to. And what this means is that when you drill it down, you'll see this in the coming weeks, when you drill it down, there can only be one ultimate reward we're seeking. There can only be one thing that you and I are after, really. We want options, but at the end of the day, something always takes precedent over everything else, and that's true for every human being that was ever created, and it's true for all of us, no matter how much we enjoy options. So the first thing we see is that there are some things Jesus assumes that we will do as we follow him. Let me give you this caveat or sort of this disclaimer. 
One of the big central messages for us here as Epic Church is that we don't do things for God to be um, handed an identity by God. Okay, And so when you hear me say in a moment, there are things that we are to do as followers of Jesus. We are not doing these things for the sake of, of, of an identity or to gain an identity. We are doing these things from the identity that we've been given as sons and daughters of God because of what Christ has done. Okay? So some people get both extremes wrong. Some people say, um, oh, I've got to do all of these things so God will be pleased with me. Other people say, well, Jesus did it all. I don't have to do anything. Okay? It's, a, it's really this cause effect. What One is flowing from the other, and we're doing things for God out of identity, not for the sake of gaining some identity. But there are things Jesus assumes that we will do. Uh, we'll just roll through the text. Verse 2, he says, when you give to the needy. Verse 5, he says, when you pray. Verse 16, he says, when you fast. So Jesus isn't saying, if you ever get around to fasting, if you ever get around to praying, if you ever think it's a good idea to give to the poor, this is how I want you to do it. Before he gets to our motivation and our rationale and our reasoning, he says, when you do these things, it's not the, these aren't the only three things Jesus wants us to do, but these are three clear things that he wants us to do. So before we get to our underlying motivation, let's just internalize and ask ourselves these questions. How is our practice in these areas? How is your practice of giving to the needy? How is my practice of praying? How, how is this practice? How, how are we doing when it comes to communicating with God? And again, just like in many of our earthly relationships, we forget it's not a one-way communication. Some of us are great at talking to God, right? Like, God, I have these 1,800 things I need to tell you about, you need to do something about. And God's like, yeah, I've got something to tell you too. You're like, nope, busy. How's your practice of prayer? And then perhaps we would all agree, perhaps in a group like this, that this idea of fasting perhaps is the, le- the one that's least practiced among all Christians, and, and that would likely be true of us in this room. What is fasting, just so that we're clear? Here's what fasting is. For, fasting is forsaking something for the sake of seeing God do something in our lives, in our family, in our church, in our city, and in our world. Oftentimes, especially when you read the scriptures, they would fast from food, which is something we can fast from. Um, we can fast from technology. I mean, hypothetically, right? You know, if you're a person who, uh, you know, the gap knows you by name because you get something every day, um, you could fast from your purchases at the gap for the month of July, right? I mean, there, there, are just, there are things that we can fast from that we're used to and that we depend on. And it isn't us playing this genie game with God, like, God, I'm going to not do this for today and you're going to give me this by the end of the week. But it is saying, God, I want to withdraw from this. I don't want to look to this, whether it's food or whatever, that I usually look to for my well-being. I want to look to you. I want to concentrate on you. I want to see you do something powerful in whatever realm of relationship or in my own life or with some situation that I'm praying for and longing for right now. I want to see your power break out. And, And so Jesus assumes there are these things that we will be doing. And then secondly, he goes on to the motivation behind what it is that we do. Because if we're not careful, we could be doing all of the right things for all of the wrong reasons. And the wrong motive Jesus teaches on, and he just keeps hammering this point home. He says the wrong motive is to do things so that others will see you and notice you and think that you're awesome when it comes to your spiritual life. Look at the text again, verse 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, just so we get the message clear, he is not saying no one should ever see us doing something good. Okay? 
So you hear this and you're like, wow, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to do some good things between 2 and 4 a.m. tonight so that no one else is awake. Well, I've got some friends who will be awake then, but, but so that no one else is, is awake. He's not saying that. He's just saying that when you do good for others, don't do it for the sake of being seen. Of course, people are going to see you doing good. You, don't, you know, there are ways you can hide it. You can do secretive things, um, but there, people are going to see it. That's not the point. The question is, are you doing it so that they'll see it? And then uh, verse 2, he says, don't be like the hypocrites who sound a trumpet who sound a trumpet, who sound a trumpet. (laughs) The media guys get so bored with just my teaching, and so they're always looking for effects. Give us that trumpet again, man. Make it a little louder. (laughs) Thank you, Chad. They don't sound a trumpet and say, can you believe what I'm doing for all of these homeless people on the corner? Right? It's like, don't, there's no reason to draw attention to yourself. And then he goes on to the prayer example. And he says, when you pray, don't stand and pray in the synagogue or on the streets so that you can be seen. He says, verse six, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray in secret. Now, let me say this. Jesus is not saying that public praying is a terrible thing. Then how do you know? Because Jesus publicly prayed all the time. People in the first church in Acts, they're praying publicly all the time. People are getting together in one-on-one ways. They're praying in smaller groups and homes. And they're praying in gatherings like this one. So we know that Jesus isn't anti-public praying. But if your prayer time only happens when you're out in public or it only includes the prayers publicly of other people, there is something wrong. Listen, our, our most heart-wrenching prayers, our most, our most honest conversations with God don't necessarily need to occur before everyone else. Right? Like, we can express our hearts to God. And what Jesus is constantly teaching that you'll see in the coming weeks, he's constantly teaching that we're, we're, we know that we can so easily fix our outsides that we just forsake our insides. This is what he's teaching all the time. He says to the Pharisees, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He's like, you're making the outside look pretty, but inside you're dead. And what so many of you are doing right now in your lives is this. You know the quick fix is to get it right on the outside in your appearance. And so you're forsaking your heart and you're going to regret this. So why don't we drop the pose? Why don't you set it down and just go, God, here's who I am. I don't know that you exist. God, here's who I am. I need you to do this thing. My mom's dying of cancer. And if you don't show up, I don't know that I can keep trusting you. But you know what we want to do? God, especially when people are watching. God, I have so much faith that if it's your will, take my mom. Listen. That is true. I want to believe that with you. But sometimes we leave our real selves and we present something else to God and to everyone else. Listen, God wants us to flow in a direction where we become more like Christ. But if you pretend to be somebody else, you can never flow in that direction. Who are you really? And the sad thing for some of us in this room is that we've not just fooled everyone else and tried to fool God. We have fooled ourselves. You quit paying attention to the real you a long time ago. Your spouse doesn't know it. 
Your small group leader doesn't know it. Your best friends don't know it. Because you're acting out of a self that was you one time, but now it's just emotions. You're just going through the motions. You're just showing yourself to be the same person. And I just want to beg you, that's not going to help. It's not going to help. Be you. And so Jesus says, I love this one, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who have gloomy faces, right? Someone comes up to you during the week, they're like, how's it going? You're like, terrible. I'm fasting. Can't you tell? I haven't had a cheese. You know, I mean, it's like, or you're fasting from technology. They're like, how are things going? Like, I don't know. I'm sure there's been a new iPhone come out since I've been fasting for the last three hours from technology. (laughs) Right. Hey, start where you are, you know. But he's like, don't disfigure your face. He's like, wash your face. You, You don't want people to notice. And here's what's crazy. We'll get to this in a little bit, but he says when it comes to the reward for why we do what we do, we can't have all the rewards. He actually says this. If your reward is how you appear before other people, then there will be no reward for how you appear before God. He's like one or the other. And you see this all throughout Jesus' teaching. Next week you'll see it when he talks about this idea of what treasure is. He says you either do this or you'll do that, but you won't go after both of them. There's one thing in every heart in this room that's ultimate. For some of you, it's your name and recognition and status. For others of you, it's just being productive. For others of you, it is how you look. For some of you, it's how great or not great a parent you are. Something for every one of us in this room is ultimate. And whatever's ultimate in your life and whatever's ultimate in my own heart, that's what wins over everything. Be clear about what's ultimate. Do we put a greater emphasis on our appearance or on the reality of our hearts? Again, one can be fixed really quickly, right? Some of you fought this morning with the person you're sitting beside now, but none of us know it. You guys are best buddies. You're a happy couple, perfect family, right? I'm not saying that we have to drag out everything publicly, but I'm just saying this. Some of us are concentrating so much on what we appear to be that we're neglecting who we really are. And the only thing you and I will take into eternity with us is who we really are. So you're doing yourself no no service. Jesus says, he uses the same word in all three of these examples. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. He says it three times. He says in verse 2, don't be like the hypocrites who stand in the streets and when they're giving. He says in verse uh, 5, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray. He says in verse 16, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. This word hypocrite, it, uh, its original meaning was that uh, when Greek actors would put a mask in front of their face so that they could have the opportunity to pretend to be someone they aren't really. And Jesus is saying all of these people who are doing these things to be seen, that's not even who they are. They're trying to project their appearance. They're trying to say, this is who I am. This is how spiritual I am. This is how much closer I am to God than you are. And what Jesus says is in reality, that's not them. They had fooled everyone else around them, they thought, and they certainly had fooled themselves. And Jesus is just like, that's not, that's not true. That isn't real. Sometimes the real us isn't the pretty us, but lean into the real you. Okay? That's all, that's all your best friends need from you anyway. Okay? If you have great friends that you have to project something you're not, you need better friends. Because those aren't what you think they are. So Jesus says, do these things. Then Jesus says, there's a reason why you and I should do these things. And then he gets to this issue of talking about rewards. He gets to this issue of talking about rewards. Because if you and I find ourselves doing the right things, but for all of the wrong reasons, most likely it's that we have someone or some group of people whose approval we are desperate to have. Right? 
So if you do all the right things, or if I do all the right things, but I don't do them for the right reason, I do them because I want you guys to think I'm greater. I want you guys to think I'm spiritual. I want you guys to think I'm a good husband. Whatever the case may be, he's like, listen, if you do that, then your reward comes when people see you doing good things. But you forfeit another kind of reward. Every one of us in this room longs to have the approval of someone or some group of people. Don't, don't, don't be like, no, Ben, that's not me. And some of you dress like that's not true this morning. Right? You didn't need anyone's approval. We, we could see. That's where I've got to make sure because everybody's like, I feel like you looked at me when you said that. <laughs> We're in a small room. I'm looking at everyone, all right? But what reward are we after? And, and every one of us seeks someone's approval. Who, whoever we look to for our approval, that's who can hand us our ultimate reward that our hearts seek most. And so you need to be honest with yourself and internally ask this question, what am I after really? The good things you did this week, what were you after really? The things that you hid this week, what were you after really? The things you projected to your coworkers, your family, and to the rest of the people in your small group, whatever the case may be, what are you after really? And what's your ultimate reward? Jesus says that if you're after people thinking that you're great, then you do things to appease them. And when you do things to appease them, that is your reward. He says this in verse, in verse 2. He says, for those who give to be seen, he says, truly, they have received their reward. He says it at the end of verse 5. Those who pray to be seen, truly, they have received their reward. He says it. Verse 16, those who fast and disfigure their face to be seen by others, truly they have received their reward. Do you see what he's saying? It's like you're going after one reward, reward ultimately. It is either the approval of everyone else or some group of everyone else or some person, or it is the approval of God. And which one you long for and which one you're going after really, that determines what you get in the end. You can get reward from having people see you do well, or you can get reward from God seeing what takes place in the secret. But you won't get rewarded both places. He's really clear about this. So here's the deal. If you are living for the approval of everyone else, then go do all the good you can and make sure that they see it. And that's your reward. Because it's so possible to please the six billion people at the, in the planet, right? But what if it starts to only matter to us really what God approves of and what God sees and what God does? What if we quit caring about who knows how much money we gave away last year? What if we quit caring about who knows how much serving we do, right? What if we quit caring about what you think about me or what I think about you? Listen, we need to instruct one another. We need to sharpen one another. But if I'm up here and what I think about on a Sunday afternoon, and it can happen really easily, is what did so-and-so think of me because they look disinterested? Or, you know, but what I do with most of you, and just give me this, please. When, when you're sleeping in a service, I mostly just tell myself you had a terrible night. All right. It had nothing to do with the sermon. It's small rooms do that. Okay. It's like, can you like staff meeting? Like, did you see who was sleeping? You know, um, they must have really, they must really be going through some, some sleep situations. <laughs> but what are we after? And here's a good question. What is, uh, what audience are we living for? Really? What audience are we really living for? 
Because here's what Jesus promises also. Here's the good side of this issue. He says this, verse 4, So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, Verse 6, the end of it, Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 18, that your fasting may be, uh, he says, fast by your father, so that you may be seen by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We've really got to be honest with ourselves this morning. If we can't get rewards everywhere, we need to know where we're seeking that ultimate reward. Like, is it enough that God knows your heart even if I don't? Is that enough? Because remember, you can't have every category of reward. Your reward will either come from people thinking what, what you have going on. And it's not that our aim is the opposite. It's not that our aim is that people see us as terrible people. Our aim should be that who cares what people see if we have a God who sees in secret and rewards those whom he sees doing what he wants us to be doing without doing it for the wrong reasons. All throughout Jesus' life, people would come to him and say, if you're this, show us. If you're this, prove it. But you know what Jesus did where, where we could really learn well from? He entrusted himself continually to the Father. You know what's crazy for Jesus? When people said, if you're really the Son of God, do this, this is where he's different than us. Okay, there's a million ways he's different than us. But when, when people said, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, do this, where he's different than us, than us, he could have done every one of the things they challenged him on. Right? Like if somebody came to me and said, Ben, to prove yourself, you need to have hair like Will Marazzo. <laughs> Just telling you how I covet. I couldn't do much about that. But when they said to Jesus, if you're really the son of God, save yourself. That was on his resume. He could. And you know what he did though instead? No, I'm going to entrust myself. They are calling him out. They are on the playground. If you can go, and they are saying, show us. Oh, you're, you're not really that. You're not really this. Show us. And he offers restraint. And the only way he could do that, because he knew that his father saw. He knew that his father knew. He knew that his father was the only one worthy to pronounce an ultimate opinion about him. And if we get to that place, watch what happens to our fears and our anxieties. doesn't mean what people say won't hurt us. It just means they don't get the final word. And I won't be thinking about what you said all night about whatever, I'm this or that. And you won't be thinking about what I said. Because the reality is this. When it comes to the end of each one of our lives, you're not going to be standing before all the people you thought you needed to impress. Aren't you glad? Right? The boss who wanted perfection, not there. The neighbor who seemed to have it all together and they knew that you didn't, they won't be there. Mom and dad, your pastor... Someone who had something that you wanted and you thought you needed to shoot for and aim for and be just like, they're not there. None of them will be there. You will stand before the one who knows all and has seen all and has seen why you've done what you've done with your life. Make him your aim, your ultimate aim, your ultimate reward. And here's what I think. I think if we can't quit being overwhelmed by what everyone else thinks of us. We either have a taste issue or a trust issue. You've never tasted the freedom and grace Jesus has come to give you by making you a son or daughter belonging to God. You've just never genuinely experienced it. So you, you just don't know. You're a smart person, but you just don't know what it's like to live not having to seek everyone else's approval. You just don't know. You haven't tasted it. 
But many of us have tasted at some point in our lives that you're not actively trusting it. And it's a hard world to do this in, right? I mean, we do live in a not enough culture. Right? For every one of us, we can look to someone in our industry or someone who compares, right? I can look at dads and go, why can't I be that kind of dad? Right? Twitter allows me to see how big everybody else's church is getting. Why can't I lead a view? You know, you can, you can, we can all go down that route in every one of our professions. Right? You can look at it with parents and you just be like, oh, man, they are awesome. Like, their kids don't say a word. Well, they have threatened those kids, all right? <laughs> let's, let's quit living in the not enough mentality. You are enough, but you haven't made yourself enough. But the God who has promised to carry out his work in us, Paul said it this way in Philippians 1, 6. He said that I'm confident of this, that he, the God who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion. But we're in process right now. And besides, wouldn't perfect be boring anyway? I don't know what God will do, but I pray that this message will be one where he frees us both from seeking the approval of others and where he frees us to seek his approval. And we can watch it be given to us on the cross. This isn't something we're grasping at. It's something we receive. Let's pray. Thank you that you've chosen to be a father to us. I thank you that when Jesus teaches these principles, he doesn't say, look to your judge, although you are. He, he doesn't say, look to uh, the one who's perfect and nothing like you, God, though you are. He says to us, um, why don't you look to your father? God, by that very title, by that very um, way that he's taught us to approach you, it says that you um, have done what's necessary to adopt us into your family for everyone in this room who has trusted in Jesus. God, help us to rest in that. If you would really be my father, why do I have to be everyone else's boy? Or why do I have to be everyone else's example of what success looks like? God, you have conferred that we are enough. Help us to rest in that. God, I'm not the only one in this room, but I confess that I'm guilty of trying to project things about myself, whether they're true or not, isn't the point, but trying to let people know that, Hey, I belong in this conversation or, Oh, I've had better experience than you or whatever. And God, I just want to lay that down. I just want to lay that down and go, you know what, God, you're doing a work in me. I'm confident in that. And yet I'm humble enough to know that God, everything I have, everything you've blessed me with is yours. Ultimately, God, every one of us in this room will seek reward somewhere at the end of the day. I pray that we would seek it in the heart of our father where it's lasting reward. God, you alone are who we want to live for. Help us to do that when all the voices come towards us, even this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and declare what we know to be true through song.